Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. As already mentioned, Steve, as Steve already mentioned, uh, my name is Seth Brisker. I'm the pastor of worship and creative arts ministry here. Uh, and, and my job typically is to be up here leading the music, leading the songs. The, the, the main thing that I do is to lead the, the band uh, on each Sunday morning as we prepare to lead you, the congregation, in worship. But the reality is, is even though my job involves music, even though my job as the worship pastor involves music, music is not Worship. Worship is not music. It's a component of worship. Music is, is a thing we do in worship. And oftentimes, I would say every time you see a worship pastor, music is what uh, it is that they overall do. But the reality that we must acknowledge this morning is that music is not worship. Worship is not music. We've been in this series called Spiritual Disciplines, and we'll be in the series for the, the duration of the summer on, on spiritual dis- disciplines. And we've looked at inward, and we're going to look at outward, and we're going to look at forgotten. And the reality this morning as we approach this topic of authentic worship, I would argue that possibly for all of the topics we look at, but I would argue specifically authentic worship really falls in all three of the categories of spiritual disciplines, inward, outward, forgotten. Inward, specifically, we have to be inwardly prepared. We have to have our hearts ready, positioned inwardly to be able to worship outward to today as we, as we gather together as a body, as, as a corporate group of believers. It's an outward expression of our praise to God. But as we're going to dig in a little bit, it also can be forgotten because we make it things it isn't. And as we just sang and heard that song and, and we witnessed the band leaving one by one, we realized so often that we make worship into something that it's not. And so today I want us to turn back to the heart of worship. This is a topic that I've spent a lot of time and, and energy and, and experience in and, and, and something I've been a part of in every ministry position I've held in, in various different churches. Uh, this is what it all centers around for me is worship. It's, it's what my undergraduate degree is in and I've just spent a lot of time in this study of worship. And so I'm just uh, grateful this morning as we approach this topic to be able to be before you as your worship pastor here at Christ Community Wesleyan Church to be able to look at what worship really is. My attempt today is to examine worship as a spiritual discipline. We must, we must examine it as the heart of our worship. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna look at spiritual worship or authentic worship as a spiritual discipline, we must first examine the heart of our worship. And so that's gonna be my attempt today is to examine the heart of our worship. And, and hear this very first point right off the gate here this morning. I, I want us to hear this and I want us to establish this and I want us to acknowledge this reality. Authentic worship is about the heart, not the method. Authentic worship is about the heart, not the method. And so if we can all get on that 
page together. Let us move forward and examine what this topic means as we dive into scripture together. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for who you've called and created us to be. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for in it and through it, you reveal yourself to us. You speak to us. You renew us. You transform us. You give us hope and light. So, Lord, today, let us engage and and invest and open our hearts, our minds, our ears. Let us open ourselves to you. As we look into this topic this opportunity that you've given us, your people, to authentically worship you with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. It's in your name we pray. Amen. During World War II, uh, the, the Germans had the British and French forces surrounded during the Battle of Dunkirk. On the northern coast of France, the British Navy couldn't rescue them, and they couldn't find their way out. The newly appointed Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, deemed the situation a colossal military disaster and ordered what would become to be known the biggest maritime evacuation, that's by sea, of troops in history. It looked like no one was going to survive. At this time, the troops represented over half of Britain's standing army. The British and the French would be safe if they could just get across the English Channel and out of France. But despite their efforts to stage an evacuation, there was not enough time or resources to get all the men to safety. A British officer sent a three-word telegram to the war offices in London that read, But if not... This powerful phrase communicated to the people at home the extreme distress the men stranded at Dunkirk were in. Almost to say our situation looks hopeless and we pray God will save us, but if not, we will be faithful to our mission. And we find a similar situation in the Old Testament scripture that Jared already read for us this morning from Daniel chapter 3. We find in this story, if you're familiar with it, Nebuchadnezzar has built a giant golden statue and sets it up on the plain near Babylon. The people of the land are ordered to bow down and to worship the statue when they hear the music playing. Or else, if they don't bow down and and worship this statue, they're, they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. As music starts to play, everyone across the field bows except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar hears of this, he's outraged and he demands that they be brought in. They are taken to the king and he asks asks them if what their accusers say is true. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego immediately admit to not worshiping the statue. They say that their God is powerful enough to save them from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, they say, they still won't vow to worship Nebuchadnezzar. At this, all hope seems lost for the three rebels. And church, let me tell you right now, if the story ended there, 
If that's where the story ended and they, they were thrown into the furnace and they burnt up and, and that was it, that was the, the end of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if that's right, that, that's all the information we had of this story, it would be enough for me to preach a sermon on worship to you today. If that's all the information we had of this story, it would be enough for us to draw strength from. Even if they were consumed by flames, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had their honor and their devotion to God intact because they refused to bow to the king. And maybe that's where you find yourself in some manner this morning. Maybe you're feeling the, the weight of life's circumstances crushing in on you and, you and you've shown up here today in the smallest amount, with the smallest amount of strength you have and you're, you're here to worship the king but there's all sorts of things in life that are, that are telling you that you have to bow down to. Time, finances, stress, circumstances of life that we every single day as, as humans are told we have to bow to. And so if this is all we had, I could end the message right here and say, even if God never does the things that you hope God to do, even if he never answers those prayers that you've been praying night after night after night, he is still good and he's still faithful. If God never does that thing we long for him to do, we have the promise of eternal life in the glory of God. Friends, this is the heart of worship. But if not, I will still worship the King of heaven. Because here's the reality. We don't worship a genie in a bottle who, who grants us wishes on our command. We don't worship a powerful earthly ruler who grants us status and position and, and power and prestige in this life. We worship the creator of the universe who has a plan and a purpose and a power bigger than anything we could possibly comprehend. That is who we worship. That is the heart of worship. That is authentic worship. That when we look around the world and we see all of the things that we could consume, all of the things we could gather in, we worship God. If God never does that thing that we long for him to do, will we still worship him Anyway, if he doesn't deliver us from our own fiery furnace that we, that we find ourselves being led in today, will we still worship him anyway? When the enemy troops surround us and we feel stranded, will we worship him anyway? We worship the creator of the universe. And so today we acknowledge that authentic worship is born out of reverence to God and his greater plan. Authentic worship is born out of reverence to God and his greater plan. So you heard Kelsey read Psalm 100 as our call to worship this morning. The first two lines of that say, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Friends, our heart of worship must be shaped by reverence to the one we are worshiping. 
Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. This requires us to be reverent to the one whom we are worshiping. We wouldn't come to worship someone who we don't believe could actually do anything. We wouldn't come to worship someone who we don't see to be powerful, to be almighty, to be all-knowing, to be worthy of such a praise. We wouldn't bring shouts of joy. We wouldn't worship with gladness. We wouldn't come before anyone with joyful songs if we had no reverence for them. And we can have reverence for God because we can trust that his plan is greater than our own. Our heart of worship must be shaped in this reverence. Under the cover of fog and night and fishing boats, pleasure, pleasure cruisers, and all sorts of small watercraft. Piloted by the good people who lived on that coast, 338,000 men were rescued off the battlefield of the coast of France and taken to safety. Although many lives were lost, the enemy hadn't overcome the army. And as far as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'll let you do a little digging to see how their story ends. But spoiler alert, they don't burn in the furnace. And for us, in the midst of our suffering and our circumstances, we show up here to worship and we think, when God, when are you going to do the thing that I've been longing for you to do? When are you going to answer the prayer that I've been longing for you to answer? When are you going to remove this burden from me? When are you going to lift the weight of these circumstances? In the midst of our current sufferings, in the midst of our current circumstances, authentic worship requires authentic faith and trust in God. Authentic worship requires authentic faith and trust in God. Can you imagine being Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego? How terrifying would that be as you, as you prepare, as you plan, as you, you make this plan, we're not going to bow and worship. We're not going to bow and worship. And, and you hear the, the chatter, you hear the whispers among the rest of your people that you're among, and you know they're all planning to bow and worship just to get through, just to survive, and you're holding on to that effort. We're not going to bow and worship the king. And sure enough, the music begins, and it's showtime. And how often do we feel like that ourselves in life? I'm not going to bow down to this thing that is crushing me. Authentic worship requires authentic faith, authentic trust in God. Verse 3 of that Psalm 100, know that the Lord is good. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If we are going to truly be able to, to fully, authentically worship God, we have to believe that God is truly greater than ourselves. If we're going to fully worship God, we have to believe that he is greater, that he is bigger, that his plan is more powerful, and we have to believe that he is fully worthy of our worship. We have to truly believe that he is actually going to deliver us from the concerns of our lives. We have to truly believe that he is concerned for us, his people, 
that he hears us when we call. We have to truly believe that what we do when we enter this space and what we do when we, we live our own separate lives of private worship, that it actually matters that the maker, the creator of the universe actually hears us. This requires authentic faith. It requires authentic trust. It requires us to be his sheep, the, the, the sheep of his pasture. And if you know anything about sheep, sheep are dependent on the shepherd. They don't do anything else except for follow the shepherd. That's, that's who they depend on for their safety. They, they have no perception of safety. They depend on the shepherd to get them to safety. And friends, church, this is our own call today as the sheep of God's pasture to depend on the good shepherd for all of our needs in this life. This is the heart of authentic worship. So we've heard from the Old Testament, we, we, we're working through this psalm, but I, I want us to hear from two people in the New Testament. This is one of my, if not my very favorite story in Scripture. It's one of the greatest stories ever told in Scripture. It comes from Luke chapter 24. And we find two people, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they're very distraught as they're trying to comprehend, as they're trying to have this authentic faith and trust and struggling through this plan, this greater plan that God has, even though they don't quite see it themselves. But I'm going to let them explain if you turn your attention to the screen. I'll tell the story. I remember it like it was yesterday. You don't even know what you had for lunch yesterday. I do too. I had... Why don't you tell the story? All right, I'll tell the story. Oh, there I hate we the were. way you tell the story. I'll tell the story. So there we were. It was the worst weekend of our life. Jesus had been crucified. He'd been placed in the tomb. And we were all in the upper room and we were very, very scared. Oh, very scared and very nervous. Nervous as a pair of long-tailed cats in a room full of rockers. Now, just to clarify, there were no cats and there were no rocking chairs. I was speaking metaphorically. Well, you need to be more clear. I, I need you to be more clear. So anyway, it was Chaos inside, and then there was chaos outside. And it was Mary, and she was off in the distance, and she was yelling frantically. Yes, and then the doors bust open, and she's shouting at the top of her lungs, He's alive! He's alive! Now, Mary... Sweet Mary, uh, salt of the earth. Salt of the earth, that woman. But sometimes she gets... Well, she just gets a little confused. Oh, to say the least. I remember I said to you, I bet she went to the wrong tomb. <laughs> it was just such chaos, and so we decided that we'd go back to our homes. Right. So we started back home. It's about a seven-mile walk on the road to Emmaus. 
And we're walking and talking. Talking and walking. Then all of a sudden, this man comes up behind us. Yes, I remember. He looked at us and he said, um, he said, why the long faces? And I looked at him and I said, that's just how we're made. We can't help it. And if you do not like it... The man was speaking metaphorically. Well, I needed him just to be clear. He wasn't clear. We said to him... Uh, oh, well, I said to him, I said, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard just what has happened? Right, and I said yeah. to him, uh, Jesus had been crucified, we placed him in the tomb, now we can't find his body. And I went on to say we were just horribly disappointed because we thought Jesus was the one. And he says, uh, why are your head so thick. Why, why are your heart so slow? And I looked at him right in the eye and I said, we're just getting older. We cannot help it. There's nothing we the can... The man was speaking metaphorically. I just needed him to be clear. Then he looked at us and he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and all through the prophets and explain to us how the scriptures said this would happen to the Messiah. It was wonderful. <laughs> it was amazing. We came to a fork in the road. Just to be clear, it wasn't a literal fork. We came to a spot where the road divided mm -hmm. and I invited him to join us for dinner. I think he said yes, because I told him my wife was making a cobbler. She makes a great cobbler. That woman can cobble. So we get here and we sit down for dinner. And he blessed the meal and he broke the bread. And then... I looked at you. And I looked at you. And we knew our hearts, they were burning inside of us. We were sitting with the Messiah. We, we were sitting at the table with the risen Savior. And then both of us, we, um, we turned to face him and, um, he was gone. I never get tired of telling that story. <laughs> I may not remember what I had for lunch, but I'll never forget that story. Tell that story. Well, aren't you a regular Bobby Fisher? <laughs> King me. Not going to king you. King me. Not going to king you. No, king me. No, king. That's a good story. I'm not going to tell that story. Add that no. one to your book. That's a good story. What, the story of an old man who cheats at checkers to feel better about himself? You're not clarifying that at all. I just won. Looking right there. That's oh, a yeah. winner right there. That's a good story. That oh. would be the title of the book, The Winner. You are a winner. I am a winner. Look I'm right. speaking metaphorically. Why don't you king you me? You would understand. Why There's no biblical reference for this, but I hope that that's what heaven is like in some form or fashion. Just some old guys bickering about each other. Um, but no, obviously, uh, in case you needed to be more clear, that wasn't the actual disciples on the road to Emmaus. I think it was just black and white film at that point in history. Um, but the story tells us 
the story of these two disciples. And as they're walking back completely defeated, they had just followed Jesus. They, they, were, they, they had been part of his ministry. They had heard what the prophets had to say about this, this Jesus. They, they were told, they, they knew, they believed, they saw the Messiah, the power that he had, the, the things of God that he was able to tell them. They sat and listened to Jesus' teaching. They knew that Jesus was radical and that he had come to serve and to save, but yet faced with the ultimate reality of the situation at hand, it says they had lost all hope. Luke 24, 21 the disciples tell this stranger at this point that they're, they're uh, not able to recognize that it's Jesus. They're kept from recognizing that it's Jesus. They said, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. And I would say, friends, we're a little bit more like the disciples on the road to Emmaus than we like to, to believe of ourselves. Has anyone ever had hoped for anything? Have you ever been in this place where you have had hoped? We've all been there, right? We, I had hoped that I would get a raise. I had hoped that I would finish that degree. I had hoped that I would make better use of that time. Maybe it's just me, but I usually take three or four books with me on vacation. And I, in my mind, when I'm preparing for vacation, I'm going to read all four of those books and probably have more time to go buy another one. And Kelsey's always like, why are you taking all those books? And I'm because I'm going to read on vacation. And I don't t read a single word of any of the books. Has anyone else ever been in a situation like this? You think of yourself as a much better, more disciplined person, your future self, than, than you actually are at times. I had hoped I would make better use of this time that I was given. I had hoped that I would get rid of this addiction by now. I had hoped I would live a more fuller life. I had hoped that God would have answered that prayer already. Anyone else ever had hoped? Let's face it, we are a had hoped people. We live our lives disappointed about what we've lost and, and eager to see what we'll find next. We're filled with broken dreams, unfulfilled promises, failed resolutions. Is anyone still working their New Year's resolution right now? What is this, June going into July? Anyone at all? No. Me either. Because we're a had-hoped people. We're full of had-hopes. And if we're being honest with ourselves, church, this morning, as had-hoped people, these had-hopes fill in and they bleed into our corporate outward worship to God. You had hoped that we would sing more hymns Today. You had hoped that we wouldn't sing any hymns at all today. You had hoped that the music wasn't so loud. You had hoped that the music was louder. Trust me, there are people on both sides of that conversation in this room every Sunday. You had hoped that we would stop repeating that chorus and that song so many times. You had hoped the preacher would preach a little shorter. That's the Sunday's C's preaching, not me, of course. You'd hope the worship service would be a little bit more pleasing to you than it ended up being. 
You had hoped that it would fulfill your preferences of, of what you showed up here expecting. And hear me when I say I'm not digging or dissing on anyone here. I do the exact same thing. There are things that I leave on Sunday morning and say, man, I had hoped. Fill in the blank. We're all guilty of this. We all bring this into our worship. We are all full of had hopes when we leave this place. But here's the thing. When we come to worship, when we come to gather in corporate worship with these kind of personal hopes, we miss the presence of Jesus among us. Just as the, road, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were literally telling Jesus how God had completely failed at this plan that they, had, they were given. They were telling the Messiah, the risen Messiah, standing in their midst of all of the things they had hoped the Messiah would be able to do. And Jesus, resurrected from the dead, de dead just a day before that, and he's alive in their midst as listening to them, hearing how they had had hoped that things would be a little different. The disciples on the road to Emmaus were so focused on their disappointment. They were so focused on, on their, their lost hope that they completely missed being in the presence of Jesus himself. It's only when they had come to the end of themselves that they were able to see the fullness of Jesus revealed among them. Luke 24, 32, if we continue in that passage, it tells us the disciples finally recognized Jesus. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Were not our hearts burning within us? How did we miss the Messiah? And I wonder how many times we could walk away from this collected space and ask ourselves the exact same question. Was not my heart burning within me? For I was in the presence of Jesus. This is where we worship God. At this very question, at this very moment in our lives, was not my heart burning within me? This is where we worship God. And we must acknowledge that authentic worship occurs when we set aside our own hopes, our own desires, our own preferences, our own ideals, so that we can fully encounter the presence of Jesus. Let me say that again because that's, that's awful wordy, but, but, but it's necessary for us to understand. Authentic worship occurs when we set aside our own hopes, desires, preferences, and ideals so that we can fully encounter the presence of Jesus. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Friends, our worship isn't shaped by a style of music or the aesthetic of a room. Our worship isn't shaped by how, much we, how many hours we spend in a church building over the duration of our lives. It's not shaped by our attendance record on Sunday morning. 
It's not shaped by completing a Bible reading plan. And hear me this morning, I'm, I'm not dismissing that any of those things are, are important aspects, important components of, of how we in this, in this uh, modern time and, and place, in our own generational place of, of history, that's how we shape and that's how we contextualize and that's how we understand and internalize our own expression of worship to God. Those things are important. It's important for us to be here. It's important how we, how we do worship. The method is important, but our worship isn't shaped by it. Our worship isn't shaped by saying the right words or having it all together. Because here's, here's the reality. I, nor Pastor Steve, nor any single person in this room or any single person on this earth have the words or the ability to justly worship God for all he has done. We simply don't contain, we don't hold the words to, to fully worship God in the fullness that, that he requires uh, to, to fully worship him for all he has done. There is not a song we could sing that would accomplish such a feat. Yet God the Father, hear this, yet God the Father, through Christ Jesus the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, finds our worship worthy, worthy holy, and pleasing. Our Father God, through the Messiah who shows up in our midst, empowered us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, finds our measly attempt to worship him worthy. But it requires us to enter his gates with thanksgiving, to enter his courts with praise, to set aside our preferences, our concerns, our desires, our had hopes, so that we can experience the Messiah. We don't worship God because of the circumstances around us. We don't worship God because we feel like it. We don't worship God because we really like that song that, that they're about to sing, that intro that's starting. This is the song that gets me. We don't worship God because the lights suddenly dim. We don't worship God because our hopes and our dreams have come true. We worship God because God is good. We worship God because Jesus is present with us. We worship God because he is worthy of our praise. And he calls us to come to him with it. Authentic wor worship brings glory to God for who he is and what he has already done for us. Authentic worship brings glory to God for who he is and what he has already done for us. Again, I said at the beginning that as we were reading uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story, I could have stopped right there and that would have been enough. That's all we need. Authentic worship brings glory to God for who he is and what he has already done for us. Not the promises we're, or the hopes or the dreams that we're grasping to. Not the things that we're waiting to see if he's going to come through and answer for us. But rather, we, we worship him because we, we give him glory for who he is and what he has already done. Verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Authentic worship brings glory to God for who he is and what he has already done. And speaking to the woman at the well, 
Jesus says, it's who you are and the way that you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said to Jesus, I don't know about that, but I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, he will tell us everything. Jesus said, I am he. Friends, Jesus is present in our worship. Jesus is among us when we come before him. Whatever method that takes, however that looks, he's here. God is magnified by our praise. The spirit is moving in our midst. And I encourage you this morning to ask yourself, is not my heart burning within me? For I'm in the very presence of the Messiah with all of my had hopes, with all of the things I'm still waiting to see. I get to encounter Jesus just by coming into his gates with praise. This is authentic worship. Even if nothing else goes my way, will I worship God? Will I worship the God who was, who is, and who is to come? Even if, will we be a people who worship authentically the one who is above all else? Would you praise with, pray with me as we prepare to give him glory and honor and praise through song? Holy God, we are just thankful to be in your presence, to be able to enter into your gates. And God, we come before you with thanksgiving. Even if we have to dig deep down to find anything to be thankful for. God, as we enter to worship, we have your son Jesus in our midst, the Messiah. Who's already won the battle who goes before us and, and behind us and who, who stands all around us. Lord, we have the, the, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. So God, help us to ask ourselves today, are not our hearts burning within us for you are here. Lord, we're not waiting to, to, to wait until the Messiah comes to have all the answers. You are here. You have come. 
You have redeemed. You have called. And so God, may we do nothing but magnify the name of Christ. Whatever may come, even if, let us be found authentically worshiping you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.